Miami host Tino Kuda Tondarai Vunzalbaya. No, I ain't gonna repeat that. Here is a podcast that's creating the dialogue and the space for black men to be their most authentic selves. Now, before I tell you about my guest today, who you guys are going to love, um, it's 50. It's 50? What's 50? What's 50, Tino? You might be asking. Well, you might not be asking what's 50, Tino, but you might be asking what's 50. It's 50 bloody episodes, mates. We up to 50 episodes of the Black and Raw podcast. That doesn't necessarily mean 50 guests, but that does mean a lot of content. That does mean a lot of content. So thank you very much, guys, for helping me get to 50. You know, I wouldn't have been able to do this if people weren't listening to the podcast. Would I still do it if people weren't listening? I don't know. Maybe. Because someone out there is listening. So someone's always listening. But yeah, 50 episodes. 50 episodes! (laughs) My excitement, guys. It might be coming through the microphone. And I apologize for that. But yeah, 50 episodes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, guys. Um, I'm going to be thinking about what I can do to celebrate the 50 episodes. Try and maybe do something special. Maybe do a little giveaway or something along those lines. But yeah, thank you very much, guys. And um, for my guest today, for my guest today, right? So let me let me, let me me give you a little bit of a lowdown, right? Now, picture this, right? Would you believe that somebody that grew up with two felon felon charges to his name for drug dealing had been dealing since he was a child you know he had got shot at at 14 he were, he grew up in a three bedroomed house with 15 other people with his grandmother being the only caregiver because everybody else was strung up on crack or drugs now would you believe this same person ended up going on to creating a six-figure business was being a photographer for artists and for athletes such as AJ Wilson in the WNBA or taking photos with the 76 Niners in the Super Bowl three years ago you know would you believe that this guy has written four books on how to be an entrepreneur and how to thrive and how to strive would you well that's my guest that is my guest, Jay Haleem Washington. And you guys are going to hear a lot more from Jay. And I'm going to give you a little snippet of what you got to look forward to, because this one is already a long episode. So, um, and make yeah, sure, you know, here's I what you got to, to look school, forward to in this episode. But they knew I had to make money because every every adult that my grandmother, all my grandmother's children, except for one, which was in the military, so he wasn't around, was strung out on drugs. Mm. So all the adults in my house were strung out on drugs. So... They know what time it is. And uh, me being an overachiever, me going to school, staying in school, I'm um, staying after school for basketball practice. When I come home, the food is gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, literally, like, everybody already ate. And they're not saving no plate for me. So now what? You know what I'm saying? My grandmother told me, and I understood because this is a remarkable thing about my grandmother, was that she, I'm the oldest grandchild. And she said, you can stay here, but there's nothing I can do for you because... Not only did she take full custody of me, she took full, full custody of nine other grandchildren. And it was just bad, you know, um, the housing market was sucky. And so we went back south to, um, you know, cause it was a lot cheaper. We started having children at that time. And so I had to start all over again in South Carolina where I was a felon <laughs> and I took an $8 an hour job um, because I needed something. We were in the place where we were about to get put out of our apartment. And, um, you know, it was just real bad, carbon repossessed. So I took a, I took an $8 an hour job and started working, trying to figure it out. But um, I had a camera that I bought when I, my daughter was born back in 2008. 
And um, I was, you know, take pictures of di- different things or really film. Mm. But um, I sold the camera because I needed the money to my pastor. Um, I was trying to sell it on eBay. He wouldn't let me. He wanted to buy it. <laughs> he bought it. But then two weeks later, he gave me the camera back and said, um, I want you. He's like, God told me to tell you to use it. So um, I didn't. I had the slightest idea about credit. And the sad part about it is the drug dealers would tell you how to make money selling drugs, but the people in the real world won't tell you how to make money. Mm-hmm. They keep it from you. I never met a drug dealer who wouldn't tell me how to make money with drugs. You know what I mean? They will always say, oh, well, man, you got to do it this way, do it that way, you do this, and then you'll be okay. In, the, in this world, oh, my God, you go to these people, man, how you do? how I do what you do? Nah. It's going to be a, a, a tax attached to it, or they're going to be cryptic, or they're just going to tell you no. So, guys, now that you've got to have a little listen to what you got to look forward to in this episode, I do really hope you enjoyed it. You enjoy it. Sorry, I really hope you enjoy it. Me and Jay Halim talk about lots of interesting stuff in this episode. We talk about his childhood, talk about his upbringing. We talk about how, you know, maybe the leaders of the world can help those most vulnerable in society and helping, you know, kids that are involved in drugs, maybe using the skills that they have, sure, for drug dealing, but maybe turning that into something positive and helping them, you know, make money and get out of the situation that they're in so they don't either end up in prison or dead, you know? Realistically, those are the options when you end up being a drug dealer or being in that life. So, yeah, we talk about so many other things. We talk about his photography career, his cleaning business. Um, He's gone from ups to lows, from ups to lows. Now he's on up. And we talk about a bit about that as well. So I hope you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Like I said, thank you. 50, 50, 50 episodes. Yeah, 50 episodes of the Black and Roll podcast. We keep going. We keep going. I'm going to see you guys at 100 and 150 then 200. And even more than that, sorry, that might have broken your ears. <laughs> Either way, 50 episodes. Thank you very much, guys. Um, and so, yeah, this is going to be a long episode, but I hope you guys enjoy it. Please tell me what you think about it. And yeah, here is my conversation with Jay Haleem Washington. So, Jay Haleem, welcome to the Black and Raw podcast. It's really good to have you on. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Nah, that's all right. Um, how's your day been? How are things been? How are things going for you? Bad weather in Las Vegas. We're <laughs> <laughs> so coming over to Vegas. Just know we had an actual real winter this year. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Why is it usually just quite warm in, in Vegas? Like, Oh, yeah. This is in the Las Vegas in the middle of the desert. <laughs> so yeah, it gets real hot. <laughs> uh, it's snowed, it rains, it's raining, snowing as we speak. Mad. No, that's all right. That's all right. Um, so yeah, so my audience would have got to um know a bit about you, but then obviously this is what the episode is for for them to get to know you even more. Um so when when we had a chat before, um you were telling me a bit about your childhood and growing up um in the crack era and things like that. So I just wanted to know um from you, like what um what was growing up like for you, like especially during that um period of time as well. Well, you know, as a kid, you don't really know what you, you know, when you're in the era. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, um, you see the movies and people are you know, writing stories about it. And um, you start to really reflect on what, what you were dealing with. So 
again, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, which is literally 15 minutes from New York City. And um, it was hard. You know, we you didn't feel different because it was multiple families in the same neighborhood going through the same thing. So um, the majority of adults in my household were strung out on crack cocaine or heroin or both. <laughs> um, and my mom was included in that. And so just being in the space by the time I got to high school where, you know, um, you didn't know when you were going to eat. I mean, my grandmother did a good job of trying to feed everybody, but she had 15 people in a three bedroom apartment. Wow. How? Um, just how's it even work? <laughs> exactly. Right. So, you know, I had a place to sleep, which was the couch. So just imagine that everybody's sitting there and I always say they're farting in the couch all day long, but that's why I got to sleep later. <laughs> <laughs> And so, um, and it was no money. And so I um, would see the people on the, on the corner who were making money. And so I tried to do the right thing at first. I went to a car wash, tried to work there. Well, I did work there, but it was owned by a local drug dealer. And that was the hangout for the biggest drug dealers. So, you know, I was more fascinated with that. And it was, um, you know, easily accessible. So I still was a good kid. You know, I went to school, played basketball, but when I got out of school, you know, I was on the corner making money. So it just, um, there's just a lot of negativity and a lot of um, pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of all of that stuff going on. And again, like now, looking back at it, it's kind of crazy, man, because that era where people don't know, you got people I see now on Facebook, it was 20 plus years ago, but now they're clean. They're not, they, you know, that I was selling drugs to, and they were older people, now they're clean. Or, you know, people were selling drugs to each other's family members. And it was just it was just horrible, you know. But at the same time, it was what was what we were faced with. Yeah. You know, what we were faced with at that time. So it was it was a tough time. Yeah, no, that does sound like a tough time. Um, and I think it's a testament to sort of how far you've came to the fact that we'll talk about all the stuff that you're doing now later on. But um, it's a testament because that's not an easy upbringing. That's not an easy environment to be brought up in. Um, as you're saying, people farting into the couch that you're sleeping on, you know, like... <laughs> It's, it's 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 not a it's not an environment sort of where you'd want your child to to thrive. Um, it, you know when we talk about the crack era, um, is that when because there's a show called Snowfall. I don't know if you've heard of it with Damien Idris. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> very good show for anybody that uh, wants to watch it. But basically, that the CIA were the CIA were drug dealers. They'll bring crack into the hood to pay for the Vietnam War and fight communism. And you know, it, it's kind of messed up when you think about it that a government sort of was like, no, let's pedal let's pedal drugs into a community so we can make money to fight a war, which I don't know much about the Vietnam War, but I don't think it was really a just full or right war either. So it's, it's crazy what governments go, what governments do, isn't it? You know, the, the, the snowfall era was in the eighties and that was the Vietnam was over at that point. They were dealing okay. with the, the um, stuff that's going on in South America. Oh, so, communism yeah. in the, yeah, in the Americas, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and the Noriegas and those individuals and things like that. And they couldn't compare to the amount of money. Um, but it was just the brick laying for what America does now, you know. So um, one of the biggest exports of the American government is firearms. And so you see in there as well, they were dealing with firearms. 
you know, they were getting a lot of firearms and things of that nature. Now, you know, they're supplying Ukraine with firearms. You know what mm. I mean? So it's, 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 you just learn what was going on. But as a kid growing up in the hood, you don't know nothing about that type of stuff. You just like, I want to make money. You know, again, I wasn't the type of person to hurt somebody or nothing like that. I was like, hey, I still went to school. I always I graduated high school one time, yeah. you know, went to college. It was just the way I decided to make money, but that was what I saw. When I got a chance to go away and saw other things, I started doing those things. But you can't turn it off, you know, um, immediately. So um, I was I became a felon in college because of that, you know. And it, and it's it's more horrific story. Some people didn't make it to college. Some people got killed. And I was shot at fourteen, you know. So oh, wow. Easily been me not being here, and I know I have people that's not here, and you know, so it could have went any kind of way, but um, the fallout, it's it's acceptable fallout for the, as far as the government is concerned, it's acceptable fallout um, for the means to the end that they that they're desired in is acceptable fallout. Yeah, it just it also just shows you sort of their attitudes towards. Uh, black people in the states and sort of how they feel about how they feel about us or how they feel about you guys um but what was that like being shot at 14 like how did that impact you like have you ever thought about that did you ever have to process that afterwards i mean i'm sure you did in some yeah, way but even, even now i mean my, my daughter's 14 so one thing i do rejoice in this fact that my daughter's never then she's not, she's never, I, I was, a, this is the, I'll paint the picture for you. So I'm outside hustling and I'm three blocks away from my house at 14 after midnight. A kid shouldn't be outside three blocks away from the house after midnight. Mm. But if my parents were around or not strung out on drugs, then that probably wouldn't have been the case. So I'm grateful that my daughter will be 15 in a couple months and she's never even been outside past midnight unless we were driving somewhere long distance and more likely she's in the car asleep. Yeah. Until we got to get to. So it's a blessing to be able to bring the next generation up and do better than what I'm able to do better for my kids than what was done for me. And that's, that's um, all that counts. That's the number one thing that counts. But yeah, I, I had to, process that when I, when it happened, you know, I played basketball. So a lot of, that's all everybody was thinking, well, can I still play basketball? Um, I got on point at that point. I, you know, I was, um, smoking and drinking. I stopped smoking. I mean, I, I'm a social drinker. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't smoke. I'm never, I'm not a smoker now. Never after that, I was like, eh, I'm good on that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so, um, yeah. And I mean, being an athlete all through high school, you know, I'm like, they, I don't want nobody harassing me about if I got to take a, a urine sample and all that other stuff like that. So it was easy for me to say I'm good on smoke. And um, yeah, so it was a lot. I paid attention. I was not, you know, slipping anymore because I, I was slipping. I was drunk. I was high. And, you know, guys got, they got, they got the drop on me. <laughs> you know yeah. Saying? Um, But I, you know, I paid attention a lot more. I was a lot more careful. But sometimes it still don't matter. But, you know, I know for me, I've always had that heightened sense ever since then. Yeah, so it's it's left, like, it's sort of, as I understand, like, it sort of, I guess, kicked you into gear a little bit to be like, actually, let me got not sort right. of do some of the... <laughs> <laughs> let me not do the behaviours that maybe got... Maybe not got me here, but were a consequence of everything happening around me. Um, What don't people understand about, like, youth criminality, about 
kids that end up um, dealing or um, getting into drugs and alcohol? Like what, what are sort of misconceptions? Oh, wow. I love that question. Oh, man. So again, it's about influence. You know, it's all about influence because they are laws that say that you can't drink, you know, um, you can't go and readily access, you know, drugs. However, you know, when you got your, when you're not being a parent to your children, they're going to be looking for that love somewhere else. And a lot of times they find it in gangs. They find it on the street where I came from. It wasn't my day in my era. We didn't have gangs, but you, of course, you guys see the gangs on Snowfall and all that other stuff on the West Coast where I live now. It wasn't on the East Coast when I was growing up, but okay. um, we still had the neighborhoods. And, you know, you want to be one of the guys. You want to be a part of it. And that's the way they show love. It wasn't always negative because those are the people who want to die with you. And I've seen it. You know, the people, they they died trying to protect you or protect themselves or you guys going fighting together. Um, we fed each other. We did everything together, you know, and when you go into the churches or you got parents and things like that, they're not doing that. And so these kids are gravitating to the love and they're going to take it from wherever they get it from. And if the hood, the hood only going to show you love the way the hood know how to show you love. So if you ask a hood dude who hustling for a thousand dollars, they're going to give you a pack to sell. They're going to give you a package of drugs to sell to get that thousand dollars where your parents might give you a thousand dollars, you know? So it's, it's still giving you the money, but at the end of the day, that's how they operate. So the, I always talk about protection by prevention. So you prevent your babies from being happen to be in that space or from being in that space so they don't even have that. We do what we have access to. I don't give my kids access to that type of situation. Like they go to school and they can find some things, but you know, when they do step out of line, you got to meet that with the proper resistance. And um, I didn't have any resistance. And a lot of kids that grew up with me didn't have resistance. You know, I didn't have nobody going to the school for me if I got in trouble. You know, I got suspended. I had to, I used, I used to be paying crackheads to take me back to school. You know what I'm saying? The, the sign me, sign me in the school. Mm-hmm. So these are misconceptions of what's going on at that time. Yeah, I, I think an important thing you said there as well is that they go and find the love somewhere else, isn't it? Like if you're, and I, I, I think during covid as well we also realized how much we needed people and relied on people and like physical touch and just engaging with others and like if you're a child and you're not receiving that from your primary caregiver and i know there's so much research out there that shows like what happens when you don't receive that sort of love from your primary caregiver um or even like anyone else that could be a positive figure in your life an aunt and uncle you know there's stories where people are like yeah my parents weren't there for me but my grandma really was and she sort of kept me straight or my uncle took me in under his wing like if it's a responsible adult that's got your best interests at heart then it's sort of nicked gates your primary caregiver not giving you love but if there's no one else then yeah it makes sense that you go out and see what you see around you you know and you, if you see if you're struggling for money and you see a dude that's driving in the bends and it's got nice 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 watch and everything else and there's got women around him as a kid you're like oh damn that looks cool like what do they do and then you find that love you find that community you find that group um so yeah i, I think there are a lot of um 
misconceptions in terms of when people think about young people that deal drugs or that are involved in crime that's like oh they're just they're just thugs they're just this just that but it's just like the kid's looking for a place to belong isn't it yeah you're absolutely right and i wasn't i wasn't a gangster by any means stretch of the imagination you know i i I was good at making money you know I, i was hungry you know i wanted to eat i wanted to make some money and again, the guys in the neighborhood was like, hey, here you go. Here's your opportunity to make some money. And I did that, you know, but that, these are the same guys who come to my basketball games. You know what I'm saying? To support me and to make sure, you know, I went to school, but they knew I had to make money because every every adult that my grandmother, all my grandmother children, except for one, which was in the military, so he wasn't around, strung out on drugs. Mm. So all the adults in my house strung out on drugs. So they know what time it is. And me being an overachiever, me going to school, staying in school, I'm staying after school for basketball practice. When I come home, the food is gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, literally, like, everybody already ate. And they're not saving no plate for me. So now what? You know what I'm saying? My grandmother told me, and I understood because this is a remarkable thing about my grandmother, was that she, I'm the oldest grandchild. And she said, you can stay here, but there's nothing I can do for you because... Not only did she take full custody of me, she took full, full custody of nine other grandchildren. Mm. So she raised eight of her own children. Now she's raising 10 more kids. And I'm the oldest. So it's like, you can't get no new Jordans because I got to get whatever kind of shoes I can get for the rest of these little kids. You know? So figure it out. And that's what I did. Yeah, no, definitely. So you you've you've talked a bit about um your early childhood and sort of what was happening for you in that time. And then um you said that you graduated from college and um you said you were, and you also had a felony uh I can't even speak today. A felony charge. Oh, why can't I say the word felony? Felony charge? I think it's just we don't yep. use felony. <laughs> felony. Um so how, how did you yeah. How did you even adjust with, because I know when you, when you do have that um, charge on you, when you have that label on you, it's very hard to just exist in society. You got that right. Um, so the funny thing was, you know, again, through my matriculation through high school, I went to what we call the youth house or um, on the West Coast, they call it YA, you know, but went to the juvenile justice a couple of times. But right, right before I graduated high school, I got um, arrested. I had just turned 18. I got arrested. That was my first charge as an adult. Now, in the States, you, that first offense, you can get expunged. Mm. So I spent my first year in college coming back and forth to New Jersey, which is about a 11, 12-hour ride from South Carolina. Wow. I went to college, going back and forth every month, programs, things of that nature, um, got it expunged. The very next year, I got a felony charge in South Carolina. So now I'm fighting this case, facing 10 years in prison the whole time I'm in college. And um, when I graduated, I graduated on the dean's list, but <laughs> I got this felony charge. Now, I, I beat it, I guess, because I didn't go to prison, but I still got this charge on me. And so I went and applied for jobs, got hired, and they let me go. <laughs> um, or they rescinded the offer because of my background. So I went and used the skill set that I had from being in the street and became an entrepreneur full time. 
you know, um, I wasn't going to give up, but I just knew that wasn't the path because I got tired of the rejection. You know, that's a different level of rejection in, in entrepreneurship. And I put it in my book, you learn how to take no's all the time, but that's a different no. Mm. Yeah, that's a different no, because you went to school all these years, you earned that. That's yours. That's my job. I, I supposed to have that job. I got $60,000 of student loans. I need that job. This is what we went. We did all this training in school for this job. So I did all of this and I can't get the thing I did it for. And it, it sucked. So I was like, I'm not, I don't want that rejection. And so I went through, went and matriculated through business. It definitely wasn't easy. Nobody, mm-hmm. even if I have a felony, is not easy. But not having a job on you know, the fallback. And then more importantly, what people f- think about you outside, you know, you got family members or friends or whatever, they keep you at arm's length because you a felon. You know what I'm saying? And none of my felonies, I ain't shoot nobody. I ain't kill nobody, nothing like that. You know, I, everything I was doing was about getting money. You know what I mean? And as I fa- figured out better ways to get money, more um, legal ways to get money, I did that. But I was a kid. And I did what I did as a child. Yeah. No, definitely. It's um yeah, it's interesting because I know, like, as you were saying, you you got one felony charge expunged and then you just got another one. And that must have felt quite gutting as well to be like, oh, I just I got rid of this one and then now another one has come on to me. Um yeah, I don't know. Were, were you gonna say something? I don't Oh no, you know, I didn't feel like that because I didn't understand the magnitude of it. Like, mm. this is why school is so amazing because I got my expungement, I got into this program. I didn't even have that type of money. I had some money at that time. I had more when I was in college running the thing, but I got caught slipping at a, at a time because all my money was wrapped into what I what I got jammed up with. But I had a cousin who had um he worked at a high school and he was sending a bunch of kids to a college. So he he sprung into action for me real fast. He started, he got me accepted into this college. He started doing all this stuff, this legwork. And so he was able to present to the judge that I'm going to college. I'm going to be a better kid. It's my first time. And that was that. So you get the smack on the wrist. So that's not good enough. Mm. <laughs> you can actually get your ass whipped. You just got a little smack on the wrist. So now it was time for me to actually get it because now I'm in South Carolina. I don't know nobody. I meet people at cutting college. I, a couple of people that I went to my same school came down there, but I'm meeting new people and I'm hungry. Again, it's the same situation. I'm hungry. I don't have any money like that. I'm trying to figure it out. So you apply to trade. <laughs> you apply to trade. You, you do what you know best. Yeah. And I got jammed up again. And so... This time I'm I've seen better. You know, I've seen I'm around other people from different walks of life who got parents who's helping them out, people who got jobs, different things. But I'm just trying to get past this point so I can live that type of lifestyle. Um, but you know, it, it just followed me all the way up until 2021 when I actually got pardoned from the state of South Carolina. But it, it was a long road. Um, but yeah, I I didn't feel like I didn't feel down on myself. I, did, I didn't know enough to feel down on myself until I really got, when I got out of college, that's when I really felt down on myself. Cause I'm like, I really put in the work to get out of school. I was doing my thing and now I can't even get a job, you know, and I went through all of this stuff, so. Yeah, 
no, interesting, interesting. Um, and so you mentioned that because you were getting so many rejections, because you were getting so many no's, and you're saying that the no is quite different because of all the hard work that you've done towards it. And there's also stigma behind those no's, isn't it? It's like, oh no, you've got this label on you that this could mean anything, but it's always viewed, it's viewed negatively. But no one ever takes into account what you've been through and maybe what's happened to you before that could have led to that. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. But more importantly for me, I was hired at these jobs. So it means I was qualified. Mm. You know, the, the process would be send a resume. They interview me. Oh, we like them. Offer me the job. Here's an offer letter. We're going to offer you this job at this salary. Sign on the dotted line, everything like that. Call up a couple a week later. Hey, this is where we need you to go. We need to give a urine sample and need to do your background. Start working this time. I, I'm hired. And then when the background come back, no. So it's one thing if they cut me off in the beginning. But I had three different jobs that happened like that back to back where I was hired. And that, that was crazy, man. That was just like, oh man, that that that's that's the heartbreaker. Yeah, that's what you never had. No, yeah, that's worse. At least if a, if at least if you get told a no before, you then you, then you're just like, oh, okay, that's all right. But then getting through to all of that, they like you as a person. Like they met you. They're like, this is someone who can come onto our our work. But then you didn't get that no. So so what was so you so you decided you pivoted. And decided I was like, nah, I've had enough of this. I'm gonna go and be an entrepreneur. Um, so what was that journey like? How was the start of your journey in terms of being an entrepreneur? Funny. Well, I'd be if I'm being completely transparent, you know, um I was hustling still, um, because I needed the money and I need um to pay for lawyers and all that other stuff like that to stay out of prison. And um then I still owed an uh, enormous amount of money to the state of South Carolina. So I had got a cleaning business. That was my first business, but it was more like, oh, got something legal going on. But then when I decided I wasn't going to really, once I got done with my case, I decided I was really going to leave the streets alone. And I did. And so I said, all right, I got to really do this cleaning business. (laughs) And I was like, oh God, I signed up to clean people's houses. And I had did it a couple of times, but I had my you know, homeboy who would help out. He was very good at that type of stuff, doing cleaning and fixing stuff around houses, stuff like that. But now it's just me and, you know, my fiance. Uh, she was helping out a little bit and, you know, I um, was trying to figure it out. And I'm like, all right. And that sucked. But you know, I'm learning the business. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Got to start somewhere. Yeah. I ended up um, getting good at it and the business started growing. And then I ended up on um, my, I was about to get married. My fiance's um, um, pastor of her church had a cleaning business back in Maryland in the DC area where she's from. And so um, we would get married up there and he had offered me a job running a million dollar contract that he had. Wow. So it was kind of crazy. Cause I told him, I said, Hey man, you know, I got a, a felony. He said, did you kill anybody? I said, no. He's like, well, you good. <laughs> and um, that was my gladiator school. You know, I was 24 years old. I go up there and he tells me to run this million dollar contract for a 300,000 square foot church. Wow. And I haven't the slightest idea about commercial cleaning, but I learned on the job. 
I just knew I, I knew what I needed to know about people. And it took me a few months to get get my, you know, my, my feet up underneath me. But we did, and um we did that one year contract, a million dollars. We did it. Um he re-signed the next year for three years and we got a 12% increase. And so he was putting the business up to sell because he's making his money on it. And I got a six-figure contract with Antella Loft, um, the Antella Women's stores here. And I went my we went our separate ways amicably, but no beef or nothing like that. Mm. It was just he made a bunch of money off the deal. He was able to sell his company and I was able to, I had got all this training I needed for to run a commercial business. Um, and I got a contract and I went my way. And um, with his um, support and his salute and um, it was great. And I was off to, off to the races from that point. Yeah, yeah, humble beginnings. Um, and I guess you've always, you always have to sort of take the opportunities as they come, isn't it? Someone, um, and and it feels good of that pastor to at least be like, well, you haven't murdered anybody, so that's an that's an okay benchmark. But I guess he knew you as well. He knew your character, and he was like, this label that's on you, it doesn't matter. I know you're a good guy. I know you can work hard, and the, yeah, you're blessed with an opportunity that you took. Sad part about it is, you know, it was people that knew me better than him that wouldn't give me that shot, you know. And so it is a blessing um, for him to, to, to that. That was like nothing but God, because I and another thing is I tell people all the time, be um, your integrity, because I told him he didn't ask me. Mm. So, and he probably wouldn't have asked me. He just said, hey, this is what I want you to do, because I spoke with him when I was starting my cleaning business because my, my fiance was saying, hey, you know, this is what he do. He was willing to talk to me. And so he so he asked me how it was going. And I actually went from not being able to clean anything to having houses weekly, what, the same houses that I'm cleaning. I even dabbled a little bit with the commercial part. I had a, um, a tire shop, well, like a string of tire shops in South Carolina. Um, it was called Tire Kingdom at the time. I forgot what they call it now. Um, so, you know, I was moving up. And so he he trusted me to take this on. And later on, he told me, he said, I wasn't worried about you learning to work. I just understood that you knew how to deal with people and you were new. I didn't want to deal with anybody that was that was local. And I was just new coming out of coming from South Carolina, coming to D.C. area. So he wanted to do something different. And um, it paid off for all of us. You know, I learned a lot. Um, in that process, anything that has anything to do with commercial cleaning, we had to deal with came to that 300,000 square foot church. So even with the construction piece, they were still doing construction in certain places, working with marble. They had commercial conventional kitchens. We had to deal with that. You know, it was a 24 hour contract, you know, and um, so anything that you think of, you, you had to know, you know, you was going to deal with it. So me, I, that was great training ground for me. Uh, school couldn't have trained me better than having that year experience. Yeah, no, definitely. <clears throat> I think there's a lot of stuff that we don't learn in school that actually benef- that actually <laughs> would benefit us in real life. Um, <laughs> um, even, even here in the UK, there's like, I, I had a conversation with someone the other day. It wasn't even the other day, it was a while ago, but um, we talked about the education system and we're saying that it doesn't really prepare you for life or it it prepares you maybe just to be in a corporate space and take orders. And it doesn't really give you the skills to, I think, use your initiative and use your drive. And, um, but then I, I don't know, some people may say that school shouldn't have to teach you that, but 
I don't know. I think if we want productive members of society, shouldn't we be? I think that is too much school. I think that school is good, but it's too much. You know, I think that high school should go straight to college. Um, I think you should have primary school, then college. High school is a waste of time. You think so? <laughs> no, it, I mean, it really is because is. You're, you're at college, you, you're reviewing stuff in high school. Mm. And so you can just go straight to college. And you're willing, you have the capacity to learn the things that you're learning. And college needs to be more focused on, you know, what it is that you're, you're, you're majoring in um, as opposed to just um, certain curriculums. So if you're thinking about, like for me, I'm, I have a business degree and I did use my business degree once I started my own business, you know, because production management was a class that I took. Well, that's talking about your um, raw materials. That's talking about how to manage your raw materials. So you are taught how to run a business. I have taught well, in business, you get a degree in business, you teach, you go through business law, you go through business statistics, you go through, through investment management, um, you go through HR class. Um, so it's it's so many, you go through business policy, like it's so many um, classes that you take that you use, accounting, marketing, it's just not the way it's taught. It's so broad because it's like, okay, we don't know what job you're going to do. Yeah. And so as opposed to making sure that when that person comes out, they're actually ready to go on to it. It's actually better for the business owner than it is for the person that goes to work. That's why they ask you because in college, you're better than a high school graduate because you learn how to receive information faster. Yeah. And so why skip that? Might as well skip that part and go straight to college. That's why you in the States. I don't know if they're doing that in the UK, but like people are graduating high school in two years. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And going straight to college because it's no, it's no point. They're not playing sports and, and they t- like, it's really no point, mm. you know? So you, you have to understand, like, I tell people, cause everybody, the dummies on social media say, Oh, you want to start a business? You don't need to go to college. Well, <clears throat> If you're going to, somebody from college is going to have to run your business and they know what you don't know. Because mm. to be an accountant, you need to go to college. You know, to be a lawyer, you need to go to college. Most most bankers, not just tellers, I'm talking about bankers, dealing with people that's dealing with your investments, your money, they went to college. Yeah. So how will you feel comfortable with somebody that went to college to running your business, but you didn't go to college? You don't understand what they know. I understand, and I receive information from a, a, a different perspective because I went because I have a higher level of education. But they just don't prepare you for that job because that's why the jobs say what experience you had. Well, I just got out of school for four years, you know, <laughs> and like I wasn't supposed to have no experience. But you tell the kids get an internship from your freshman year on because they you're going to need that on your resume to get a job. But as soon as you, if you sit there and you take your accounting major and you graduate with an accounting degree, you've already taken accounting one, two, three, cost accounting, uh, forensic, all that, all that stuff in accounting, uh, finances, all that stuff. You literally with a, a eight week class at Jackson Hewitt <laughs> or one of these H&R blocks or something like that, you're able to run your own tax business. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But you will catch hell trying to get a job. <laughs> at, With one experience. A, yeah. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Because you know all this accounting stuff. 
And then now I would send somebody to a, I don't know how long those, the, the, I don't know who does the taxes in the UK, but these are some of the big com- companies in the, in the States, the Jackson Hewitt's, the, you know, H&R Blocks. You, they, they give classes that's cheap, like you know, $200, about four week class. That's could tell you like really what what's going on on the tax right there. The, the taxes right there. You can literally start your own company. I was doing taxes on the side at 23 years old, you know, with a business degree because I went to a Jackson Hewitt class, you know. And I instead of but if I would apply to get a job as an accountant for a company, I would have never got it. Yeah, you know what they it's 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 really a money making scheme when you when when we look at it, isn't it? It's it's a way of them because the, when I was in uni, they definitely we there, a lot of the stuff we done could have been condensed into two years, two two ten exactly. ten years, but they stretch it out because they just want more money from us. Which you know, it, it's the game, isn't it? We understand what it is. Like they sort of need the money, but then at the same time. If you could make all the courses two years intensely, then you wouldn't then need that money because it'd be shorter. Well, you know, it's more so I think the money plays a part in it to it. But at the same time, you know, they wouldn't be able to handle an influx of intelligent people at that time. They it is a management of situation. These people mm. come out and then they, as I told you, they accepted fallout for the, you know, you had to accept the fallout. So not the schooling or the a curriculum of high school is the other parts. Cause a lot of other parts of high school is, is the struggle. It's the social portion of high school. Mm. Now you have the violence that's going on, not just from the people in the school or other students, but people coming into schools over here doing stuff. So these things will, will weed out the individuals uh, and they'll be, you know, not be in a space looking for jobs or trying to be in a business. So school that that 12 year period is weeding you out. Who's going to go to prison? Who's going to be, you know, um, working poor? Who's going to be middle class? Who's going to be rich? And you're being weeded out. And if you or your parents don't know the game, then your kid is going to fall victim to that. You know, because school is about relationships. You know, Harvard is no better than a lot of other universities besides it's going to be that kid is going to go to school. Everybody got somebody right here that family is worth a million dollars somebody here on this side, family worth a million dollars, somebody in front of them worth a million. So the relationship is different. The funding when people are giving stuff to the school, they're not going to ever have to worry about is a bunch of rats and roaches in there because alumni are giving back to the school. Yeah. You know, it's a whole lot of different things that had nothing to do with the education. You know, when you talk about business, they have case studies, real case studies, not on paper case studies. Their case studies, we're going to have somebody from Facebook here with you in the class. To come and have a conversation with you as opposed to, you know, it's a theoretical something from somebody who a professor who never did business, who just learned and learn how to teach from a business curriculum, you know, and that's what makes them go further. But the curriculum is the same. It's how you teach it. And now and what you add on to it. Imagine you cook chicken, I cook chicken. But if you put applesauce on your plate and I put rice, beans, and all the other stuff, my plate look better. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Exactly. So that's what's happening. It's it's all the chicken, it's all the education, but then when you you know is they they have the better additives. You know, Mm. I see from HBCUs. My my wife and her crew, five women. My wife is an accountant. My her friend, she has a friend who's um pretty much a doctor, but now she's the coroner. 
Um, we probably call them med- medical examiners over there. Yeah. Um, a whole county, another one that's a dentist, another one that's um, a principal of a school, another one is a high-ranking government official. They all went to HBCU. So they perform, you can perform at a high level coming out of the same schools, but they don't have a hundred millionaires they can get put on the phone tomorrow, you know, yeah. because those wasn't going to school with them. So that's the difference. You often hear it's not what you know, it's who you know, isn't it? There are times where those connections is what gets you into the door, that gets you into those places um, and gets you those opportunities. Most definitely. Yeah. So you went from your cleaning business and um, now you're an author as well, um, an author of four books, um, not just one, four. And that's that's quite an impressive feat, I will say so. Um, but how... Um, how did that transition go from, um, you know, from doing your cleaning business into now sort of being an author? It's funny. that That's all in this. My first book, I Won't Starve. I Won't Starve from $8 to six figures. So um, I in, in 2010, my wife was working on the Capitol Hill. So, you know, the White House is 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. She's working at 600. Pennsylvania Avenue. And she lost her job out of nowhere. She was told her and the whole company was told that they were the company was shutting down in three weeks. None of them will have a job. And so she had to figure it out. So we're living in Washington, D.C. area, which is one of the most expensive areas in the country. Here I am with my business. Um, and we didn't have the support of family and things of that nature as far as from moral support space. So I sold the company. And I was like, we're going to move back south. And we went um, we went to do that because, again, it was we were going through um, our recession. This is when Obama was our president. Yeah. And uh, we had a great recession at that time. And it was just bad. You know, um, the housing market was sucky. And so we went back south to, um, you know, because it was a lot cheaper. We started having children at that time. And so I had to start all over again in South Carolina where I was a felon. <laughs> And I took an eight dollar an hour job um, because I needed something. We were in a place where we were about to get put out of our apartment, and um, you know it was just real bad. Carbon repossessed. So I took a I took an eight dollar an hour job and started working, trying to figure it out. But um, I had a camera that I bought when I my daughter was born back in two thousand eight, and um, I was you know take pictures of di- different things or really film. Mm. But um, I sold the camera because I needed the money to my pastor. Um, I was trying to sell it on eBay. He wouldn't let me. He wanted to buy it. <laughs> he bought it. But then two weeks later, he gave me the camera back and said, um, I want you. He's like, God told me to tell you to use it. And I just went crazy with becoming a photographer at that time. So um, I ended up becoming a pretty good photographer. <laughs> if I say so myself, Um I can, if I can turn, you see some pictures of me with the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, nice. But I was taking photos at the Super Bowl three years ago. Wow. So, um, in Miami. And if you can see behind me right there, it says top 20 under 40. That was 2017. But I was just, I was a photographer at the time. That's what it says in there, as a photographer. So I was yeah. top 20 under 40 in my state. Um, well, congratulations. At that time. So, and that next picture next to that is a picture of Asia Wilson, who's probably one of the best basketball women basketball players in the country. That was her Nike shoot. That was an autographed picture she gave to me. I did that. Wow. So 
I became a pretty good photographer. And um, I started doing work with the government with my camera and we expanded my media company. You know, um, we were doing film and photography and we would film a lot of government contracting um, workshops and conferences and things of that nature. And so um, one thing I started helping out the government um, with far as getting minority contractors in the door. And so I started working as a pseudo consultant. And I came up, when I left my job, which I skipped that part, I left my job like a year after I started the $8 hour, um, the eight dollar hour job and came up with this mantra, I won't starve. And I would put that on, you know, put hashtag I won't starve on all my social media. And um, I created what was called um, the Entrepreneur Workshop, Development Workshop, which now is called the I Won't Starve Experience. So it was a big conference that we did every year, well, twice a year, to um, bring in minority business owners, motivate them, inspire them, but more importantly, put them in around government um, entities so that they can actually get certified and be prepared to do business with the government. And um, so, yeah, that's that's how I got to that point. And um, I wanted to speak. I had something to say. And I had a good friend who it's funny, uh, I love putting his story out there, but he was my barber in South Carolina, but he moved to Georgia, to Atlanta, and he became a barber f- for the movies. And now he works in the film industry, cutting hair. Wow. He's actually up for Oscar because he was on the um, the hair crew that did um, f- the work for the movie Wakanda Forever. So oh, they're up for winning Oscar. Oh, yeah. um they just won the NAACP Image Award, so now um, in a couple of weeks they'll be up for the Oscars. So, um, shout out to him. Big up, yeah, big up to your friend. That's sick. Yeah, and so he started a nonprofit in Atlanta. And he invited me to speak because he knew I had a story, and I was sold after that. But for me, I said I, I wasn't going to wait on nobody to tell me that I was worthy enough for them to pay me to speak. So I created this workshop, and I headlined. I was the headline speaker. And um, that's where that started. And everybody kept telling me I need to have a book. And I'm like, notoriety. Everybody knew me, as you can see, you know, I had accolades and stuff like that. I didn't have a book. And so it was titled, it's titled I Won't Starve, which nobody was surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Might as well stick with it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I Won't Starve from $8 to six figures. And um, it was, it just was, it changed my life at that point. You know, once I wrote a book, I um I found my lane. I found my voice. I was able to have um this particular one. I didn't put pen to paper. My assistant, who you talk to now, Tamika, she the one who did that. So as you can see, it says, "As told to Tamika Sims." It's nice. Um, and she said she'll never do that again for nobody. <laughs> it was a hellish experience. I know I'm a lot to deal with, but. It helped me tremendously because it birthed in these next three babies, which I actually did write yeah. <laughs> uh, myself. And um, but yeah, so I did that and my life, my life changed forever, not just because of the title of author, but I mean, if I can show you, I'm right every day because of it. I write every day. I get something out of off my chest every single day, whether I'm putting notes in my phone, something I'm always writing. And so um, I found my outlet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how you start, go ahead you about that 
I was gonna say how how did writing help you because you've been through a lot like we've we've talked about a lot about your childhood and even your ups and downs and you know you had a you had you had a quite a big contract with the cleaning contract and then you went down again and then you came back up again so like how did writing help you process everything that went on in your life? Oh man, you know when you when you get to a certain age, man, you know I'm in my forties now, my early forties. You start getting all that emotion that they tell us as men to hold in, that's going to start coming out. It's gonna get- <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you got to that point yet, but literally once I got, I mean, we took nine months of working on this book and I talked about things I never talked about before. I, um, I, I let it all go. Mm-hmm. I finally let it all go. You know, I brought in a coach a life coach and she was helping me with clearing up some things in my past. And I was talking and addressing things with individuals who I felt that wronged me. Um, because I, I, you know, not having a family and not having like, you know, that, that mother figure I was taking advantage of, I felt by women, not like I was dating, but like pseudo mother figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I reached out to them and we, we, we've had those conversations and I was able to grow from that. And, um, it just just me being willing to tell my story. I, I was always told to tell my story. I just wouldn't. You know, I just like ah, nobody wanna hear that. But I realized it wasn't for them, it was for me. Yeah. You know, it was for me. The more I put in these books, the the easier it feels to me. It's like more and more weight is lifted off. You know, um, I get it out. And so um writing I won't starve, going to working with that process. Oh man, it's, it got it was just like so many people called people I've done business with. It was so funny, like certain people would hit me. I didn't know you were a felon. I didn't know you went through that. <laughs> Cause you gotta understand, as a photographer, my my resume said I've worked with the US military. I worked with Save the Children Foundation. I've worked with the NFL, the WNBA. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. I've worked with multiple entities that I've worked with the government, the airports, everywhere. Nobody ever asked me about my background. Only no, Save the Children Foundation asked, but they asked about, you know, because they don't want to make sure you're not dealing with kids. You know yeah. I mean? But outside of that. And I, you know, I work with Amtrak, the train company. I mean, like, if we go down online, I work with major law firms, you know, like all type of companies. They not one time asked me about my background. And so it was like, wow, you know, and I would keep it to myself because I didn't want nobody to ask me about my background. <laughs> so this was a relief. And then, you know, a couple of years later, they'd be pardoned for all of my crimes that I did 20 years prior, you know, that was a big deal, you know, but it was me accepting me for, for who I am and, and, you know, and not letting my past can keep, keep me um, bottled up and um, back there in that space and allow me to go forward and do be exactly who I'm supposed to be. Yeah. You can't let your past define you, can you? Like, um, and I think everything that you were saying um, in terms of like growing <clears throat> like how writing helped you process your emotion and that people wanted to hear your story. Um, I think you find, like, you find that, like, telling your story sort of then helps people just more connect with you, isn't it? And you're saying that it was, like, you. everyone said, write your story, and you're thinking, oh, that's for everyone else, but that 
how much I actually helped you out. Um, what were the, I interrupted you when you were going to show me all your other three books that you've written. What were the... You want to start key principles of entrepreneurial development. So um, I was teaching this, when I put this first book out, I would go around and do training because this stuff is on YouTube. I literally put this on YouTube 2014, 2015. It probably got 20 views. <laughs> <laughs> but when the pandemic happened, you know, I made some tweaks, but, and I, and I narrowed it down to focus on three different um, generations, which was Gen Z, millennials and baby boomers. But um, the the crux of the, con- of, of the content of this book, I had talked about, on a YouTube series I did um, called Hustle While You Work. And um, I um, I sold over 5,000 copies of this book. Wow, congratulations. And uh, independently, and I never, thank you, and and, and I couldn't get nobody to look at the YouTube videos. <laughs> I was giving it away for free, but I, I couldn't go and teach it nowhere because we were in the house and nobody was doing anything. So um, having a book, got me all over the country because people wanted me to go and do presentations and things like that. I was doing them online. And then once the world kind of opened back up, I started traveling again. And um, that's how I got to the West coast of South Carolina. I mean, of, of America because of that book, putting that book out and people seeing that I, I do training on entrepreneurship, things of that nature. So that was, um, this is my second baby. So that was cool. It, it, it worked out tremendously. Yeah. What were, in terms of when you do courses, when you are talking to people and um, I'm sure you're inspiring them as well, like what are maybe some of the most surprising things that you come across? Well, you know, the biggest surprising thing I come across is that, I, you know, if you know anything about the state, South Carolina is not one of the most um, desirable places to live when it comes to the states because it's not like uh, California or New York or Chicago yeah. or something like But Oh man, how much the stuff I learned in South Carolina, a lot of people don't know. I'm in Las Vegas. You know, this is a big town. Everybody knows about Las Vegas all over the world, mm-hmm. but they don't know the stuff that I know in South Carolina. So, you know, um, I'm teaching in Long Beach, California. You know, it's LA County. They didn't know. They Their eyes were wide open, like, wow, I, I didn't know this, you know, so. <laughs> I, I, I tell people that I work with and I've been trained under, uh, you know, I tell them all the time. I say, you guys don't owe me anything because I was trained very, very well on how to be a presenter. I was trained on how to, which I'm certified trainer, certified facilitator, certified business coach. But I learned all that stuff in little old South Carolina. <laughs> and uh, I was well prepared for the rest of the, the big bad world. So that's one of the biggest things that come to me every day. Yeah, no, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Um, and I'm going to ask you just two more questions. Um, and I, 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 I forgot what I was going to say literally just in seconds ago. Um, what you said you've worked with quite a lot of clients. You worked in Nike, NFL, WNBA. What are some of your favorite clients that you have worked with? Oh, man. So, um, Again, when I got the Nike opportunity, it was through Asia Wilson, who is um, a WNBA MVP, actually, this past year. And oh, um, she's from South Carolina, born and raised, and uh, went to college with her brother. Her mother's, like, super cool. She's, like, everybody's auntie. <laughs> and 
her dad is like a phenomenal businessman. So, so um, so they gave me an opportunity to work with her when she got out. Soon as she got out of um high school, and she was an All American, and I started working with her. And they never, they always let me work with her all the way through college. And so the just to know that I was thought about because uh, according to her mom. She had an opportunity to do a shoot with Mountain Dew, and she did, and um, she couldn't get any of the photos. She was upset about it. So she said, the next time, I'm going to use my own. <laughs> and they could have <laughs> used anybody. You know, her daughter's a millionaire. Her daughter's doing things. They could use anybody, but they came home to South Carolina and called little old me and gave me the opportunity to change my life like that. And so um, I appreciate that one. Um I worked with Amtrak. That was that was an amazing project for me because it was a forensic project. It was a train crash. <laughs> and I had the opportunity to shoot that project um for about 17 different cases for um for the law firms okay. in the state of South. So that was a transformational job for me. Those are those are ones I think. Oh, the Super Bowl, of course. Like <laughs> Super Bowls with my, I'm a 49ers fan, and I, yeah. I got that stuff with the Chiefs too. But they ain't nobody, you know. I don't put them up there. They beat my team. I probably would put them up there. They beat my team, but um, that was a tremendous experience to you know get rolled out the red carpet. I met all the people on ESPN that I saw since I was younger, yeah. and they and I'm right there with them, you know. Um, being able to shake hands. I got pictures with a lot of the ESPN people um, from over here. So that is that was just a tremendous um, opportunity for me. So camera put me in a lot of rooms that I never thought I would be in, even though I don't really shoot like that no more because uh, of the pandemic. Um, yeah, that, that, that was tremendous. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think what, what, we've been sort of talking about and what has definitely come up through this conversation as you said at the beginning like you had a hustle you had a drive um but you were also good with people and i think you know when we think of people that are when we think of kids that are dealing or even when you think of drug dealers criminal empires like to do that you've got to be really smart like the the people that are running those things ain't stupid like if they applied those skills to business they would be flying because there's a lot which is sort of related with and i think from your upbringing which maybe led you to be more hungry as you're saying i won't starve like that drive that hunger to be better to do better and your people skills i think is a testament to when you're saying talking about working with um the WNBA star, that the relationship you had with her brother, with her dad, with the mom, you know, they were like, yeah, let's get him because we know he's good. Um, so, yeah, quite a, a huge testament to your character. Yeah, and I appreciate that. You know, um, the, transformation, the transformation is hard for a lot of people to do, and I'm glad you brought that up. It's because it's different language barrier. You know, it's a language barrier when you're coming from the street to going into legit business. And so everybody from the outside looking in saying, wow, if he was able to build a $500 million street organization, they should be able to do that in business. Well, no, business takes time. People usually can do that in a matter of a year or two. You don't build $500 million in regular, you know, in the regular world. <laughs> fast, you know, yeah. and um, the, the, 
these people are very cutthroat. I mean, sometimes you do business deals with people when you would rather be in the street. You know, you would rather be in the street because they're a whole lot worse people that's in corporate America than the drug dealing. You know, so um, we had to put that out there. And and when that drug dealer kind of cross over and they're dealing with these people, they don't speak the same language. So it's about putting yourself in a situation where you can be educated on how to speak the same language. And so you can transfer those skills because a lot of times it's the language barrier. Like mm-hmm. I would be able to go to any country and live the same way I live if I could speak the language. So it's the same situation. You know, a lot of people don't go to these places because they don't speak the language. So the drug dealer don't speak the language of corporate America. So you have to learn that. Every drug, most drug dealers are not leaving the drugs to go to college to learn the corporate American language. You know, so that's why it's not happening. That's why it's always saying, well, if you really have a real heart and you're just in it for the money, partner with a young lady, or if you're the female doing it nowadays, partner with a young man who knows that world and allow them to usher you out of that world, you know, allow them to inspire you to get out of that world, you know, but, but drug dealers don't know about credit. You know what I'm saying? They don't know. They don't, they don't. I mean, when yeah, I was, right. it was a crime for us to get cars with car payments. Like we out here making money, whatever car you got was a status of how much money you had. Mm. So it wasn't how much money you thought you had. It was, if you had a car, <laughs> It was ten thousand dollar car. That was because you made you had ten thousand dollars put up and you bought that car. Mm. We say okay, put ten thousand dollars on the car and pay payments. You know, I, I think that there's something that's acceptable today, but that wasn't acceptable where I came from. That was was the status. If you had a certain car, they knew where you, what level you were on you know, at that time. So um, I didn't. I had the slightest idea about credit. And the sad part about it is, the drug dealers would tell you how to make money selling drugs, but the people in the real world won't tell you how to make money. They keep it from me. I never met a drug dealer wouldn't tell me how to make money with drugs. You know what I mean? They will always say, oh, well, man, you got to do it this way, do it that way, you do this, and then you'll be okay. In the, in this world, oh, my God, you go to these people, man, how you do how I do what you do? Nah. There's going to be, a, gonna be a, a, a tax attached to it, or they're going to be cryptic, or they're just going to tell you no. Yeah, that's quite. In, that, that's I think that's quite an interesting thought as well, and maybe um, something for the future in terms of how do we empower children that are involved in crime to be able to move across? Because you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm pessimistic, um, which I'm. I'm quite an optimistic guy, but I feel like if they were to do that, we would see a lot of crime being decreased. We would see quite a lot yeah. of positive things, but the rich and the powerful don't want to give up their power. So why would they empower those that know that if they come into the industry, they could do really well? We can't worry about the rich and the powerful. That's what we spend too much time worrying about the rich and the powerful. Like they're not worried about us as much as we think they're worried about us. Mm. You know, we're not, they're not worried about us until we we get to be a point where we can affect them. Our little stuff is not affecting them. So when you get a book like First Morning Motivation, my third book, this is again consistent encouragement through a crisis. You going how you stay motivated no matter what, how you encourage no matter what situation, right? So you got going through a bad situation, you know, fine. How do you stay motivated in that situation? But once you get past that and you go through those steps, you learn. This I talked about business. You got to have the right people around you. That's what business corner is. How do you how do you what's the, really needed to survive the entrepreneurial fight? 
you got to have people around you. Those kids don't have help. They're telling these kids to figure it out on their own. And they're doing it with what they have. They're doing it with the information that they have. If, if a kid can get up in the morning, every morning at six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning, like I did, and be on the corner on time, that means I could be at a job at that time. Mm-hmm. You understand? So I have that skill, right? If I'm, if you see me making a little bit of money, now I got a car, that means I have staying power. That means I'm able to sit here, put a plan together, and actually do it. So you see that. It's your job to see those not just the negative. Now you see those positive things within this child. And then this is the offer, not the critique, not the judgment, the offer. If I can offer you a way to make money legitimately, would you would, would you do it? If they say no, leave them right there. Mm. I, I'm willing to bet that a good portion of them would say yes. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so okay. don't scam them. Don't take advantage of them. Don't judge them. Look, there's no way you put the food in front of them and they're not going to eat. But you won't put the food in front of them. You you come there with your judgment. They can't eat judgment. You come there with your critique. They can't eat critique. You got to put, if you want them hungry wolves that's on them corners and that's out there hustling, you got to give them some food. So what is the food? Knowledge, real knowledge, knowledge that could be applicable today because they about to get this money today. So you're saying, hey, young brother, I know what you're doing. Um, let's try to do this for right now. And it's not going to take you away from this. Just like you're not, it's not going to take you away from a job because that's your job. That's to his job. If he or she are paying their bills that way or feeding their family, that's their job. Don't take them away from that immediately. But let me show you this. They come, man, that was cool, man. I made $250 yesterday. I was over there talking to dude and we worked on this and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I probably made $2,000 yesterday, but I still made $250 and wasn't wasting my time. You know what? If it's slow out here, I'm going to go out there. Yeah. What happens is when you start injecting that goodness into them, they don't forget it. Let me tell you what's going to happen to that young drug dealer. They're going to lose a package. <laughs> they're going to get a bad package. Or they're going to get arrested. So which means those are the times when they're going to say, you know what? I lost all that money, but I got some money I can make over here with this brother. So if you got that construction company and you're looking for some day workers, hey, yo, man, I know you're making your money, but yo, you can and, and give them some game. Come over here and work this construction so you can put this on your tax. You can file taxes and the man won't say nothing to you. And you know what? You're right. Man, just come two days a week. You'll be all right. Just come two days a week. I'll pay you $25 an hour. That's what you're paying anyway. But I want him. You know why? Because he's going to show up. He's yeah. already showing up. He's standing outside in the rain. He ain't leaving when it gets cold. He's standing out there getting his money when it's cold. Yeah. They you know, are Definitely. And as you're saying, you can't eat judgment. You like you can't eat critique. Like, come to the young person and offer them. You know, sure they are getting maybe money. They get more money from somewhere else. But as you're saying, if you can make money legitimately, I think I also agree with you. I think a lot of people. I think a lot of kids would say, "Yeah, no, let me do that," because there isn't there isn't that risk of I'm going to get arrested. There isn't that risk of I could get shot out on the corner or something could happen to me or my boys. How many times you heard? of anybody, this is probably the first time you heard anybody give you that example and tell you that they, this is what they should do to these young kids. 
Like nobody never said that, and nobody talks about that. I've, I've, I'm telling you, like I've never been on the corner. Somebody come offer me a job, mm. and the kids, they're not going on the corner. Them kids are not going to rob you if you walk up there and say, "Hey, how y'all doing, young brothers? I, um, I want to offer y'all. We got a construction contract up here. They're looking for workers. Um, are you guys interested in making some money? They're not going to be like, oh, nah, but come on, give me your, give me your wallet. <laughs> they're nah. not going to do that. They're not animals. You know what I'm saying? They're going to be like. Yes or no? But I bet you one of them would say, yeah. Even if they don't say it in front of everybody else, they say, where is that? Then later on, you might see him trickling in. You said that that's, because what I know about drug deals, everybody on the corner, just because they're selling drugs, they're making money. So everybody's not making money. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's just, that's the allure. That's a lie. So there could be 10 people out there doing it. One of them probably making money. Maybe two, if it's a good situation. But that money that they can make, that $25 an hour working eight, 10 hours, they'll be like, I take that. I get paid every week. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I take that. And then before you know it, you done lost three of them, four of them guys on that corner. Because they're working. But they're worried about their background. They're not stealing, they, they're not stealing um metal, they're not stealing tools. They don't even know what to do with it. Everything they're gonna learn how to do, but you're gonna teach them. Yeah. And that's what you do. You teach day laborers. You teach laborers, you bring them in there, they're cleaning up, you know what I'm saying? They don't know how to do stuff, but they, the longer they stay, the longer they learn how to do stuff. But they're not going to the corner to take the kids off the corner. It's the easiest way to take them off the corner. And we can do that. We people that's in our level have construction companies. They're going through Indeed and trying to hire them and seeing that they got a college degree to go ahead and clean up after construction. Yeah, and you're, and you're empowering people that need it you're empowering kids that need it and you're and you're able to go and give them a better life hopefully you get some onto a better life and a better track as well um and i've loved everything uh, we've talked about um and i'm just just going to ask you a final question i ask all my guests um and i think it works perfectly because we've just been talking to um and giving a message for people like us for people that are in the industry that in industries and that have power but say if there's a young person listening to this conversation um what do you think something that we've talked about or something that you know can help them with an understanding of themselves you know um that they're not alone you know, that, that other people actually know what they're dealing with. You know, you people listen to podcasts every day and not too many people are hearing, especially young kids, somebody speaking to exactly what they're dealing with. It's always a judgment. It's always a critique, you know. And yes, they're doing some dumb stuff. <laughs> I mean, like, for real, it's not, it's, it's no need to lie about it. At the same time, let's talk solution based. And here are solutions. It's the truth that is a language barrier between kids on the corner and people in corporate America. It's a language barrier between the kids on the corner and the people in the church. You know, um, it's, you know, and and if we're not willing to bridge that gap, we're going to keep losing. And then when you start to think about um, the jobs, oh, my God, you know, we got to stop. They're doing it now over here in the States. They're really trying to focus on giving felons jobs because we we got to a point where people need, everybody needs employees. Mm-hmm. And so now you're not really worried about that. Now in the more the major states, they're a little bit more um, lenient, but still some of those other states were trying to hold on to that. But no, man, these are a huge amount of citizens that could be working. 
and you're and, and you're you're saying because they had a nonviolent offense, you, they can't get a job. Like that's the that's they're gonna go back to doing the same thing they wasn't doing. And they already know this, but it's all about solution. And one of the biggest things is just understanding that they can, I want the I want the kids to understand is that they can do it at the level that they are. I said that in this book. That's one of one of my key principles to start where you are. Don't worry about I gotta have ten thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars, wherever you are is good enough. I just moved to Vegas a little over a year ago. I already adopted a school. You know, I'm not from here, but I already adopted the school. So that that's one school that's gonna get lunch every every um month for me. We're gonna come there, we're gonna send supplies, we're gonna be there, support. That's one. Now, before it's all said and done, it's gonna be way more than that. But again, I'm not waiting on, oh, if I had 15 other people to help me, I can get the whole district. Forget that. I'm gonna start with one, and then we're gonna work. Go. I'm always gonna do what I can do. I'm never waiting on nobody else, and they shouldn't wait on nobody else. Do what you can do, and what you can do is more than enough. I promise you. Because instead of you sitting there doing nothing, doing something is always more than enough. Yeah. No, bro, bro. Um, thank you, Jay Halim, um, for coming on to the podcast. I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I think this is a long episode, um, but you know, there's always great nuggets uh, in long conversations. So, um, yeah, thank you for joining me. Um, and hopefully, I'll get to see you soon. Hopefully, I get to meet you. Um, I haven't met let's any do of it. Guests, so I'd love to at some point. So yeah, and let's do it. Let's set up something out where you are. You got something going on? Let me know. Let's let's make it happen. We'll do. We'll let's, do. Let's, Let's create the relationship. Um, I want to get you get you these books so that you can uh, spread them out to your friends. Let uh-huh. people see what you got going on. I said this is my latest one, Business Corner. Two months old right now. This is my latest baby, and I say my best work. You know, corner. <laughs> what's really needed to survive the entrepreneurial fight. This is for any entrepreneur, no matter what level you're on. Um, because in the, I started to talk. I start from the beginning always to selling your business. So we cover when it's time to hire employees, we cover, you know, um, reinvesting in your company, relocating to another place. But all of it's based on who and what you need to have in your corner during your business journey. Nah, bless, bless. Is there anything else you'd like to tell my audience? Anything else you'd like to plug as well while we're here? Stay connected, man. Stay connected with with this brother right here and with me. I won't starve. You can look up hashtag I won't starve. You'll see everything about me. But I won't starve.com is one is one of my websites and jhaleem.com. But go to I see about the I won't starve movement. This is um a motivational lifestyle brand. Go on there. You can see the books, you can see the merchandise, just like stuff like what I got on. And just see what we're doing, see what we're doing in the community. Hear me speak all the time. Um, go to Starve Talk. I got my own podcast, Starve Talk Podcast. Starve stands for Stand Tall and Reclaim Victory Every Day. So we are literally, you know, bringing people out of that, and we're doing it through other people's messages. The Bible say we overcome by our testimony. So not just my testimony, but your testimony. So I'm willing to talk about what I got going on. I want to hear you, and you might have a better perspective. But long as we all are trying to help individuals with our testimony. Nah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And yeah, I'm going to put all of that into the show notes as well. So no one's got no excuses not to find you. Um, so yeah, thank you, Jay Halim, uh, for coming onto the podcast. And uh, we'll talk soon. I appreciate you, brother. Have a good one, man. Thank you. Hey guys, so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. This was a very long episode, um, probably right 
for episode 50 you know what i mean <laughs> we don't want to make this short we want to get real good value real good value out of uh out of my guests so <laughs> yeah thank you very much guys and um if you want to get into contact with jay halim i'm going to put all his socials and all his details into the show notes so you can go and check that out if you want to check out his books that will also be in the show notes too and so yeah go in contact with him go and engage with him you know if you like the episode go tell him that you like the episode if you like the episode tell me you like the episode too <laughs> so yeah thank you very much for listening guys um i'm not gonna keep you here long because it's already a long episode um but thank you very much for listening if you want to get in contact with me at black and raw on all social medias speak at black and and i think that's it so yeah look out for a new episode next week guys and uh we will talk soon